do you find the Bible different and unrealistic? Have you ever read the Bible and come away with the feeling that the world described in it is so much different from the world where we are today? Last January to March, we just finished the study of the book of Joshua and we saw how God miraculously saved Israel again and again with a great power and a mighty arm in so many times. They crossed the Jordan River during flood stage. They conquered Jericho. The walls came tumbling down just by shouting, marching, and blowing the trumpet. And then the sun stood still in one battle and hail rained down from heaven, defeating Israel's enemies. And when we hear this kind of stories, it's tempting to think, we say, miracles don't happen anymore. God doesn't work that way. Where is God in the midst of my trouble? But this book assures us that it is not so. You see, when we ask those questions, where is God in the midst of my pain and my struggle? If you are in that place, then this message is for you. Why? Because the book of Esther is also similar to how or where we are right now. It's a lot like our stories today. There are times when God is silent. At times it feels that God is absent and doesn't seem real. And amidst our difficulties, our pain and problems are more real to us than God's presence. Now the book of Esther assures us of this reality that we can trust God's work. He is at work behind the scenes even if we don't see him. And so as we continue our series today in Esther chapter six, we will look at the turning point of the story. Now this is the key lesson that I want us to uh, remember this morning. God is a God of great miracles, but he is also a God of ordinary situations. God uses ordinary means to fulfill his good plans, and he uses ordinary events to transform our tests into testimonies and turn our troubles into triumphs. God is the God of great miracles, but God is also the God of ordinary situations. And so we will look at three things in Esther chapter six, the unexpected crisis, the unseen rescuer, and the unthinkable turn of events. So let's rewind to the story Five years ago, let's rewind what happened. Bad things happened. Yes, Esther becomes queen, but behind the prestige of her position is the dark side of the reality of living in a Persian empire. Esther was weak and vulnerable and was easily exploited by the wicked people in power. Remember, in the dream of Daniel, Persia is a kingdom, it's a beast that devours flesh. It eats people alive. It tramples the weak and exploits those who are powerless. And Esther found herself in the midst of that, in a difficult situation where she had little or no control. And as far as the king is concerned, Esther is just only an object for display. And Esther is just a tool to satisfy the lust and the ego of the king. How about Mordecai? Esther steps father, he faithfully served the king, and by God's providence, he was able to 
um, to, re to reveal the secret plot against the king, and he saved the king's life. But then what happened? He remained unrewarded, unrecognized. And so for the next five years, nothing much changed for Esther and Mordecai. In fact, things got worse. The king promoted someone, but it's not Mordecai. Instead, the king promoted Haman, the Agagite. And what happened next? Haman, Haman required all the servants to bow down and kneel before him. But Mordecai refused to bow down and honor him. And so Haman was filled with rage. And so after learning that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman started to plan and think of ways how to kill Mordecai and all the Jewish people in Persia. And eventually, the king gave his go signal and allowed the Jews to be killed by the end of that year. It was a dark time for the Jews, Mordecai, and Esther. Bad things happened, things got worse. But fast forward to Esther chapter five, the queen embraced Mordecai's challenge to step up and save the Jews. And after fasting for three days, Esther approached the king even though she was not invited and she knows that she might, that would be her last because she could be killed by the king. But by God's providence, Esther survived the death penalty when the king gave her his favor and welcomed her. And that is what we learned from last week's message. Esther was able to invite the king and Haman to the banquet that she prepared. And during that first banquet, the king asked, what is it that you want? What is it that you want me to do for you? What is your request? And Esther said, if I have found favor in your eyes, would you please come again to the banquet that I will prepare the next day? Go with Haman. And that was the end of the story last week. And now while Esther was preparing for the second banquet, another unexpected trouble came. Chapter five, verse nine. Haman was so happy as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and went home. And as Haman gathered his friends and his wife, Ceres, they gave them this suggestion. Set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman and ordered the pole set up. Haman got so angry with Mordecai and he wanted him to be dead immediately. Now think about it. The Jews and the Mordecai, they already have a death sentence. But Haman was so impatient because it will be about ano pa, 10 months pa within, by the end of the year. But Haman was so impatient, he was so angry, he could no longer wait that long. He wanted Mordecai to be dead the next morning. And that's the big problem. It made the situation worse for Mordecai. Mordecai just became hours away from being killed, from being a human barbecue. That was the plan of Haman. Now let's pause here for a moment. Are you in the same crisis as Esther and Mordecai? First bad things happened, and then things are getting worse and worse and worse. I remember a story of this uh, author, Alan Fadling. 
He's a pastor and author of this book, An Unhurried Life. And he shared a story about he and his wife, Jem, early in their marriage. Early in their married years, Pastor Alan experienced a season of burnout due to over business and overworking. And a year later, his wife realized that she was pregnant. At the same time that she realized she was miscarrying. Hindi niya kasi alam na pregnant siya. So, nung time na nagbi-miscarry na siya, dun yung laman, ay, pregnant pala ako. But sadly, the baby died. That was the second miscarriage within the five years of marriage. And actually, in between those years, the father of Jem passed away also. It was a sad time for them. And then the next year, the a third pregnancy happened, but this time it was a scary pregnancy because Jem had fibroid in her uterus or myoma. The myoma is growing fast, faster than the baby. So it was a scary, scary thing. By God's grace, they were able to go push through with the pregnancy and they had the first uh, firstborn son, but it was a scary and a hard and difficult journey. But it did not end there. Six months later, the Mayoma kept growing and almost the size of a baby, so they had, um, they had to prepare the surgery. And as they were preparing for the operation, Pastor Allen was called in by the pastor, the senior's pastor. Uh, he, he, he was called into the senior's pastor's office and he said, I'm sorry, the church right now, we have financial difficulty. We have to let you go. Pastor Allen lost his job as a pastor after eight years of serving while preparing for a pregnancy, while preparing for the operation of his wife. And 30 days from then on, they have no means, visible means of, of supporting themselves. And what made it worse, they just bought a new house in, this pla- in their place. Where will they get the money? By God's providence, Pastor Allen was able to, to uh, apply for a new job, but it's, it's in a smaller church, but quite far. And so they have to sell their house that they just bought. But then the market was down, no one would like to buy it. But things got worse. An earthquake happened and it damaged the house. And so they have to, they could not do anything. And until they, their finances depleted, sadly, their house got foreclosed by the bank and they lost nine years of financial savings. Things happen from bad to worse and so on and so forth. How about you? Are you in that difficult situation? What are you going through right now that you feel that things are spinning out of control? And when you find yourself in this trouble, you ask, where is God? Does he even care? In the midst of this bad news, it's a valid question. Where is God? But here's the good news. Esther tells us that the bad news or things getting worse is not the end of the story. The good news is in the midst of this unexpected troubles and uncontrolled crisis, we have an unseen rescuer. Chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. That night. That very night was the night that Haman just finished setting up 
the sharpened pole to kill Mordecai. And all that Haman needed to do is just go to the king and ask for the go signal, and it is as good as done. In other words, Mordecai is just a few moments away from dying a horrible death. And Esther and Mordecai do not have any idea what was going on. But then something happened. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. In the original Hebrew text, it says that the king's sleep fled. And for some reason, the king had insomnia, and we don't know why he couldn't sleep. But this incident is the major turning point of the story. It may seem ordinary and insignificant, but this night became the central pivot of the story. And actually, if you look at Esther, this, there's a beautiful literary structure, so let me show this to you. Some of you are into uh, the structure. So actually, in the red line, the king can sleep, it's actually in the middle, and it's the pivot point of the story. From then on, the whole story turned around. In the first half of Esther, we see that evil is winning over good. Everything was going on according to Haman's plan, and the Jews are just waiting for their execution day. And then things got worse for Mordecai, he was about to be killed by Haman's request. But during that time, the king had a sleepless night, and that would change and turn around things in the story. And so we continue. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered the attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. Here in verses 1 to 2, we see another beautiful example of God's providence in action. Now, what is God's providence? God's providence is God's caring provision for his people as he guides them in their journey of faith through life so as to accomplish his purpose in them. So God's providence has a component of God caring for his people, God guiding them ultimately to fulfill his plan for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Now let me highlight this point. Here in verses 1 and 2, God's providence happened through an ordinary situation. It was a regular sleepless night. There were no drama, no miracles, no big happenings, no flash events. And humanly speaking, nothing special, nothing extraordinary happened. All we see are a chain of ordinary events, but these coincidences are not insignificant. Now think about it. It just so happened that night, the king couldn't sleep. It's an ordinary situation, right? Ako, nahirapan rin ako matulog. I know church members, they say, Pastor Jen, I also have uh, difficulty sleeping. I also wake up 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And I told them, ah, oh, if, if that happens when I wake up 2 or 3 in the morning, I know who I could pray for. That's an ordinary situation for many of us. But then, out of those choices, the, the, the king could have, uh, because the king had insomnia, he could have asked for food, entertainment. He's the king. He could ask for anything. But then he chose to read a book. Perhaps he, 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 he wants to get bored to put him to sleep, or maybe the king is just uh, 
the king just wants to uh, read something, particularly with regards to the record of his reign. It's a boring, it's a boring reading. It's like reading the minutes of a meeting, but then perhaps the king is so full of himself, he wants to read through the successes of his life. Maybe that was his choice. And normally, these records during that time, they were written in these clay tablets. It's not like the book that we have right now or like the iPad na isa lang. The, that, the original tablet, version zero. Diba? And so, what are the odds that the servant would pick up that clay tablet that contains the story of Mordecai and how he saved the king? And, when af and after the king heard the story, he could have said, okay, go to the next. But then the king stopped and said, wait. The king got curious. What happened to Mordecai? You see, this is God's providence at work. While everyone else was sleeping during that dark and ordinary night, an unseen hand was at work. And unknown to anyone, even to Mordecai, an unseen rescuer was moving quietly to protect his people. You see, this is the truth, that God may be unseen, but he is not absent. You know, as I reflect on this, I realize, and I thank God, I said, Lord, thank you for protecting us. There may be times that we don't know that you have already protected us, but you already did. And this is something that we need to reflect on, that we may not see God's hand at work, but he is working behind the scenes. Again, here's the point, that God is a great God of miracles, but he is also a God of ordinary situations, and he uses ordinary means to fulfill his good plans, and he uses ordinary events to transform our tests into testimonies and turn our troubles into triumphs. And so as we listen, as we go through this, you start thinking of those things in your life that God used, the test that he turned around for it to become a testimony. What are the mess in your life that God turned and transformed into a message of his glory and a message that would proclaim his goodness to others? Now let's continue. After hearing the story of Mordecai's loyalty, the king got curious and so he asked a series of three questions. Verse three, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked and his attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. This is an important question. What reward or recognition have we been given to Mordecai? But the king received a concerning answer, nothing. And the king was shocked because Persian kings were known for their generosity, especially rewarding those who are loyal to them. Because doing so would encourage further loyalty and punishing and giving severe punishment to those who are disloyal would warn others not to do the same. And so the king was shocked to hear that Mordecai remained unrewarded. And so he was now determined to do something about it. And so he asked the second question. Who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. And as it happened, again a coincidence, Haman just arrived at the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. Again, this is another work of providence. At that very moment, King Xerxes asked who is at the outer court. Haman just arrived. Again, Haman just spent the night planning how to kill Mordecai and he was so excited to see the king that very morning. 
And so the attendants replied that Haman is out there in the court. And so the king said, bring him in. Bring him in. By this time, on a usual day, the court would be empty. But Haman was so excited and he was just there at the right time. And here's the irony. Haman was so excited to kill Mordecai and shame him publicly. And the king also was equally excited to see Mordecai to do the very opposite. And that is to honor Mordecai. And so that leads us to the next question. So Haman came in and the king said, what should I do to honor what should I do to honor the man who truly pleases me? Before Haman could say a word, the king asked this question. What could I do to a man who I wish to honor? Now, did you notice something? The king said, what should I do? Sounds familiar? Because that is the very same pattern that the king shows us from the very start. He is a great and mighty king, but he's always being dictated by people around him. And even at this point, Haman was the one who told him, do this. This great king never decides for himself. And so the, king, the king's question was probably a surprise to Haman. He was taken aback. At first, he was so focused on killing Mordecai. But then when he heard this question, what should I do to honor the man who truly pleases me from the king? Haman forgot about Mordecai and started thinking about himself. And he said, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? Haman started to focus on himself. And this is his prideful presumption. And here we see the most transparent window in Haman's soul. He was fully convinced that no one else deserved greater honor than him. And as far as Haman is concerned, the world and the empire revolves around him and his pride and his massive ego. And so he answered the king with his self-serving suggestion. Verses 7 to 9. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with the royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe and led through the city square on the, city, on the king's horse and have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Here, Haman revealed his personal wish list. His suggestion, let the man wear the king's attire, let that man ride on the king's horse. In other words, Haman wanted to be a king for one day. He wants the public honor and glory of being a king for one day. But sadly, Haman was blinded by his own pride and self-focus. It did not cross his mind that perhaps the king was thinking of someone else. And that's a scary thing with pride. It blinds us from reality. Now think about your life. In what ways are we like Haman? How has your ego blinded you? How often have you told yourself, I deserve this? How often do you say to yourself, I deserve this promotion? I deserve this recognition. I deserve this relationship. I deserve this reward. I deserve this honor. 
How often do you say those things to yourself? Let me share with you a story that I want to confess to you. In 2002, I represented our school, uh, University of Santo Tomas, to uh, the Globe Telecom Academic Achievement Award. It is a gathering of uh, the top graduating students of uh, electrical engineering or electronics and communications engineering. And so, uh, to select the overall winner, we were given written exams and panel interview. And during those days, we also had a tour around the Globe facilities. And so after that, the test and the, the interview, we waited for a few days and then the awarding ceremony came. And during the awarding ceremony, the president of Globe then uh, arrived early and so we were introduced to him and we were so happy. And when we got to introduce, uh, when he was introduced to me, I shook his hand and smiled. And do you know what I was thinking in my mind? I said, Mr. President, you are shaking the hand of the overall winner of this competition. <laughs> Just saying it out loud gives me shivers. <laughs> That's my pride. Where did it come from? I was so presumptuous. It was scary. So we had lunch and then the program started and after a few hours they declared the winner and the winner is not me <laughs> and i thank god for that you know the one who was winner he was i remember his name he was uh, chris basmayor if i remember correctly he was from the pamantasan and Sodang manila he's a very silent humble guy looking my said he deserved this but for me i was so presumptuous we need to be careful because our pride blinds us and it will bring us down. And that is what happened to Haman. Haman, when he heard the king and he was already saying, do this, make him king for one day, probably was Haman, uh, Haman was already daydreaming that he's wearing the king's robe and he's wearing the king's, uh, all those accessories and he's riding the king's horse. And then suddenly the king, the king said something and Perhaps in his imaginary dream, Haman fell off his horse because of what the king said. Because what the king said turned things around. And that is our third point. In verse 10, excellent, the king said to him, quickly take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace leaving out nothing, you have suggested. This scene is probably one of the most funniest in the Bible. But of course, it's not funny for Haman. His greatest dream suddenly turned around and became his worst nightmare. And the unthinkable turn of events happened. Now look at the great reversal of the story. Haman came to the palace excited, asking, he wants to ask the king to kill Mordecai. But then the king was also excited to promote and honor Mordecai. In the process of Haman answering the king's question, he ended up advising the very opposite that he wanted to do. And he couldn't do anything about it. All he needed to do is to follow it to the smallest details, even if he doesn't want to. 
And Haman's advice burst his own bubble. That's what happened here. Things turned around. And so Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai and placed them on the king's horse and led them through the city square shouting, this is, the king, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Now here's the unthinkable turnaround. Mordecai was honored. Haman was humiliated. Instead of being naked and impaled in a pole, Mordecai was dressed in the king's robe, lifted up in the sight of the people. Haman was supposed to scorn Mordecai publicly, but he ended up praising him throughout the city. And this is what happened. The evil plan that Haman plotted returned to him. And afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurriedly went home, dejected and completely humiliated. Now think about it. When it was over, Mordecai was, Mordecai returned to duty, and we don't know what he felt. The text did not say that. Perhaps it's bittersweet. But Mordecai knew that his life is still on the line, that he and the Jews will still be executed by the end of the year. And so perhaps after receiving this honor, maybe, maybe he said, perhaps there's a glimmer of hope. But what about Haman? By this time, everyone in Susa saw the gallows that Haman set up for Mordecai. And most likely, alam na nila kung sino yung papatahin Haman. But then things turned around and Haman publicly honored his enemy number one. And remember, Susa is quite vast, so most likely Haman took almost the whole day. Remember, the story started early in the morning, but it ended up almost dinner time na to the banquet. So it, it means Haman took almost the whole day to, to tour Mordecai around Susa, and he was shouting and he's honoring Mordecai. So he made a fool out of himself that whole day. He was utterly humiliated. And after his disgrace, perhaps Haman ran as fast as he could, returning home to find comfort and encouragement from his wife and friends. But instead of finding encouragement, this is what they say. And Haman told his wife, Sarah and all his friends what happened. His wife's advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who had humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. The same people who incited Haman to kill Mordecai are now the same people who's telling them it's no longer possible. Haman's wife and friends knew that the tables have turned around. They realize that Haman is fighting a losing battle and he won't win against Mordecai. Why? Because an unseen rescuer is working on Mordecai's behalf. And even before Mordecai could process anything that happened, he needed to leave immediately. Verse 14, while they were still talking, the king's eunuch arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet king, Queen Esther, had prepared. So for verse 14, we will know about what happened next, next time. Um, now at this point, let me summarize the things that we've covered. And I want to highlight these critical lessons from our story today. And these are three lessons. The first, 
things could turn from bad to worse. But don't be afraid. God is in complete control. Trust God's goodness. Like Mordecai, there will be times when things will spin out of our control. We may experience difficulties and suffering, not because of the sins that we committed, but because of the sins of other people against us. At times, our troubles may go from bad to worse. For me, I experienced recently, I had some health concerns, and then towards the quarter of last year, I had some doubts, I had some questions on God in, my, in terms of my calling, in terms of my, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then, I, as I do my best, uh, my, uh, as I serve, I struggle with, the, uh, with my energy physically. And then, I had a, uh, a vehicular accident. Nakabanga ako ng motor. And so, uh, during that time, I was asking, Lord, what's happening? And of course, I have to take responsibility and pay for that and, and those things. And I was asking, Lord, things are spinning out of control. What is it that you want me to do? It's so difficult. Perhaps you're going through that difficulties as well. Maybe you're going through a combination of these things. That uh, A tough crisis here for you. Maybe there's a death of a parent or a loved one. Then there's a death of a dream, death of a relationship, death of a business. Just a few days ago, my friend was messaging me, Jenna, I'm closing down my business. It's difficult. I don't know what you're going through right now. Things are getting worse. But I encourage you, knowing that it is not the end of the story, as we see here in Esther. God could turn things around because God is in complete control and therefore we should not be afraid but trust in God's goodness. And I pray that as you face your challenges, you would find the strength and the courage to trust that God is good. He is in complete control. The second your work may be unrewarded or unrecognized, but don't lose hope. God reward you in his perfect time. Trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. Vincent van Gogh, or Vincent van Hoek, was born in Holland in 1853. He was a pastor's son, and by the age 20 to 30, he tried different jobs and even lay preaching. But by 1833, at 30 years old, he started painting and studied at an arts university or arts academy. And during his lifetime, Vincent's artwork was not widely known or even appreciated. And so he struggled with sales of his painting and even had financial difficulties and health problems. But after his death, his artwork became highly celebrated and sought after. And his paintings are now considered masterpieces. And Vincent van Gogh is now one of the most iconic and most influential artists in history. How about you? What are the discouragements that you face? Are you discouraged because your work is not rewarded or appreciated? 
You share the gospel to your family members, but they ignore you or they just ridicule you. You disciple people, you spend time, sacrifice energy, do your best, but then people take you for granted and they don't take you seriously. Perhaps you're teaching others to think biblically, but then they chose to follow the wisdom of this world. Or maybe you do your best to run your business God's way, but it's so difficult and discouraging because of the corruption around you. In the midst of all these challenges, what do you do? I pray that you won't lose hope. Instead, stand firm and be immovable. Do everything to always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Like Mordecai, God will honor and reward us according to his perfect time. The last. You may think God is absent because you don't see his great miracles, but don't despair. God uses ordinary events to fulfill his plans in your life. Trust God's faithfulness. As for Mordecai, he wasn't aware that he was about to die a horrible death, but God protected him. And God did it through an ordinary event. The king couldn't sleep, and that became a major turning point in the story. Personally, I also experienced God's goodness, and let me share with you how he used an ordinary event in my life. And this is just a recent, uh, um, recent event. Last May 19, my doctor confirmed that I have obstructive sleep apnea, or OSA. It means that I couldn't sleep well, I couldn't reach uh, REM, there's not much oxygen getting into my brain. And so that explains my frequent heart palpitation, dizziness, and decreased in energy. And even uh, earlier, before, during the worship time, I needed to sit down for a few moments because I couldn't stand that long. And so I have the symptoms at least for the past three years, but I only learned it this year and said, Lord, why did you allow me to, to go through that at these three years or perhaps the last five years? I have this, but why? But some of the Lord answered me because he said, you know, I allowed you to have this suffering so that you will learn to depend on me. And that is true. I learned in my suffering, God exposed the idols in my heart the idols of greed, the idols of pride, the idols of self-sufficiency. And I praise God for that. It's difficult, but God used it according to his plan. And of course, having confirmed that sleep apnea, I was happy, at least there's this diagnosis already so we can move forward. But at the same time, I feel sad and said, Lord, all I want is to, to serve you. Why do you allow me to go through this pain? I was sad because of the physical difficulty, but I also am sad because it will cost money. And as I was reflecting, Lord, I could have used the money for family vacation or family bonding, or perhaps even travel to the US so I could visit my mom and my, my siblings there. And so, but then I just have to move forward. The doctor actually recommended me I use a CPAP machine when I sleep, so this is a picture of that. But here's the problem. One device costs 90,000 pesos. A lower brand, 60,000 pesos. 
maybe a third, around 30 to 50, something like that. So, say, Lord, please heal me. I don't want to spend. And so I prayed something like this. Lord Jesus, the doctor said I need this machine, but I'm not relying on this device or my own wisdom for healing. You are my great healer, and you are the one that I depend on, so please heal me. As for the machine, I don't want to spend money to get one, so please provide. I want to get the device as soon as possible to ease my pain, but I don't want to hurry and get ahead of you. So please help me to wait and trust your timing. Amen. That was my prayer. What happened next? God used an ordinary event to turn around my situation. One week after my checkup, so my checkup was May 19, and so one week after, that was May 27, my classmate invited me and my wife to attend a kiddie party for her two kids. I wasn't supposed to be there because I have a prior commitment. I need to meet someone, my friend, who will I be meeting in Paranaque. But then, last minute, I need to cancel. Uh, they, they canceled the schedule, so I, I, I was free to go. And so there, I, we attended the party. I met some classmates. And then I, I sat down with my other classmates. And during that conversation, I wasn't really expecting that, uh, that, that it will happen. But then during that conversation, my, my other classmates told me that she had sleep apnea also. But then the CPAP that she was using, she, uh, it's already uh, free and she could give it to me. And so I was so happy with that. All I needed to do is to buy a new set of masks and tube. And so I, was, I praised God for that. But then when I, when I canvassed for the new set of masks and tube, it's around 9,000, something like that. Still, ano, uh, the cost is still high, Lord. I'd rather have, have, have something. But then God answered my prayer. I was able to look for... Medyo na-delay lang because medyo busy this week, but I was able to look for an alternative. And you know how much the cost is? 1,800. But it did not end there. Four days after the party that I attended, my sister from the US messaged me because she was also helping me to look for one. And she said, someone gave her a CPAP machine. It was only used once. And it was the brand that, was, that cost 90,000 pesos. So I praise God for that. Say, Lord, wow. You use an ordinary event. Turn around my situation. You provided for me not one machine, but two machines. At least I have something to use it here. And Lord willing, by the time I could... Uh, if God will allow us to travel to U.S. Um, by the end of this year, I could go there and I have something to use also when I visit my sister. Coincidence? No, it's God's providence. Dear friends, I don't know your situation today. Maybe you're facing a difficult situation. Perhaps you're in the midst of challenges and you feel that things are getting worse and things are not doing well. But I pray in the midst of all these things of your trials, I pray that you would find the strength to trust God's goodness, trust God's timing, and trust God's 
faithfulness. Always remember that God is the God of great miracles, but he is also the God of ordinary situations. God used ordinary means to fulfill his good plans, and he uses ordinary events to transform our tests into testimonies and turn our troubles into triumphs. May God bless us.